say, no way, not me, and, and be careful in that space. Followers of Jesus are people who receive grace and announce grace and stir up lots of false grace, false hope, false truth along the way. Followers of Jesus are people who receive hope and announce hope. What's it like to receive hope? Jesus tells two little stories. Uh, one from the ministry of Elijah and one from the ministry of Elisha. And they're beautiful little vignettes, little pictures of what it's like to receive hope. Have you received hope? It is beautiful. Hope rewrites everything. Hope, hope makes, you, ma- makes you see life through the eyes of blessing. So the first story happened in the life of Elijah. And he was a prophet in Israel. And the king, Ahab, was a dirtbag. And the prophet Elijah told him so, in no uncertain terms, laid out his ineffective leadership, laid out his inadequate lifestyle, and told him that God was against him, and said, for this, it's not going to rain for months and months until I say so again. This did not make him popular. So he left the region. He went to the region of Sidon, and as he entered town, Uh, God, by his spirit, who is always leading the people who are truly following his way. God, by his spirit, who is always creating these providential encounters, these amazing moments, led him to uh, meet uh, a widow. And she was having the worst day of her life, literally. As he engaged her in conversation, asked what she was doing, she said she was collecting some sticks to build a a fire to go home and cooked the last batch of bread because she had nothing else. She was going to feed that to her children, and then they were going to lie down, sleep, and die. That was her trajectory. We call that hopelessness. And so the prophet says to her, why don't you make that cake of bread and feed it to me? And my God will rescue us both. Now, that is an astonishing challenge into her life. And what is super astonishing is that she said, okay. In this uh, part of history and in this region and through this season, um, people everywhere were very spiritual. The notion of worshiping a God was very commonplace. But gods tended to be territorial and provincial. And so there was no problem for this woman in Zarephath to believe that this prophetic man from Jerusalem had a God and that his God was good to him. What was unbelievable is that that God's power extended into Phoenicia, where Baal was God. There was no problem to believe in gods. The problem was to think that that God's power extended over here. That's not the way they thought. And so she she would have been much more comfortable with him saying, I have an in with Baal, the local God. Uh, He owes me a few favors, and I could draw you into that. To speak of some foreign god, this this, this is craziness. And it's everywhere through the Old Testament. You remember Jonah, when God gave him a commission, he got on a boat and ran? Why did he do that? We think that's stupid. Not in his day. That was the smartest thing you could do. Get out of that god's territory. Get away from that god's influence. And what did he find? That the god Yahweh, the god of Israel, the God who is the creator of heaven and earth. His influence, his mystery, his love reaches to the ends of the earth. You can't outrun him. And that's part of what the book of Jonah is about. You can't get away from him. 
Lo and behold, there he is at work in Babylonia among the enemies. Who knew? There's another story, Naaman. I'll come to it in a moment. And when Naaman is healed in, Israel, in, Israel, in Israel's territory, he gathers up some dirt, takes it back home with him to Syria so he can worship this God, Yahweh. To us, that looks like a silly thing. Back the truck up, fill it up with dirt, take it home, you know, put it in your kitchen so you can stand there and worship this God. Why would you do that? Because the gods are territorial. Because they belong to that region, to that land. You've got to take a little bit of that region back with you. That's the way they thought. So here is this woman being asked to trust this crazy prophet who wants her, her dinner in exchange for the hope of a foreign God, and she believes. That's awesome faith. She steps into this call and receives from God the richness of blessing. She never goes with want, with want throughout the whole drought. She looks after Elijah. And, and the whole story unfolds. She's an amazing figure. And God blesses her and undertakes for her family. Hope comes to her world. And how does it come to her world? Through the grace of an awesome God whom she trusts whom she stakes everything upon, even though she's not deserving. She doesn't even live in his territory and discovers the amazing wonder of this God. Has hope come to you? You may live someplace where you think God doesn't visit often. He does. You may have been through some stuff in your life that you think God cannot overlook. He'll do better than overlook it. He'll gather it up and answer it in his own Life and death. He can visit you wherever you are. You may think that you're at the end, at the bottom, unemployed, no resources. God can do nothing for me. He specializes in such circumstances. And he may call you to do some things that will challenge you as you exercise that faith, that trust, that obedience. There's a second story in here of hope. It happens in the life of Elisha. And Elisha is the successor of Elijah. These were prophets in Israel. These were the people who spoke to the likes of the Nazareth congregation that Jesus is speaking to a few centuries later. These prophets called Israel to the things of God. And Jesus is making the point that while these prophets were doing their thing in Israel, there wasn't a lot of action, a lot of response, a lot of faith in Israel. But there are these astonishing stories of faith outside. Outsiders. God is a God of mercy. He loves to surprise with his mercy. And Jesus is doing a challenging thing. He's turning a lovely children's story that all of these people in Nazareth knew from childhood and delighted in, that they thought they were on the side of Naaman. They were on the side of the woman, Zarephath, only to find out that Jesus is sort of using it against them. He's, he's so, 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 sort of using the story to say to them, do you really obey? Do you really have faith? Do you really trust? Do you really know your need, your brokenness? The, the, the Naaman story is beautiful. Naaman was a commander in the Syrian army, a.k.a. a big shot, general so-and-so, multiple stars. He contracted leprosy. It means he will certainly die. His slave girl says, I have an idea. And his slave girl puts the information in front of him about how he can be healed. He needs to go and seek out a prophet in Israel. 
This general, with all of his power, realizes that his life is in the balance and he willingly goes to another nation to try and get the help of another god. And so he comes to Elisha's house with his whole parade, knocks at the door. Elisha breaks all protocol. It's funny because we know the rest of the story. As horrific as it unfolds, he sends his servant to tell Naaman, Yep, knew you were coming. What you need to do is go down the river, wash yourself, go home. Naaman, the the, the general, he is incensed. This is like a five-star general from the United States of America coming to Australia, knocking on the prime minister's door, only to have him send me to greet the general and say, right, this is what you got to do. Yarra River, seven times, go home. (laughs) Crazy stuff. Protocol said that Elisha should have invited the general in, should have put on a massive banquet, should have honored him with all the appropriate honors, and then humbly asked, what do you require of your contrite servant? He didn't do any of that. Uh, Servant sends him to Israel. Servant tells him what to do in Israel. How humble are you willing to be? How humble? How humble are you willing to be to know hope? Hope does not come readily to the haughty, to the proud, to the high and well-placed. That's why we are always at risk in a Western culture. It's why we always need to be so careful coming back to God, seeking his spirit, humbling ourselves before him. Because we live in a country that says we're on the right side of truth. We live in a country and in and, and, and a culture that says we're good, we're good. If anybody's good in the world, we're good. And there is this, this reality ticking at the back of this story in Luke chapter 4. That for many who think they're well-placed, their bank accounts are empty. Just because you are sitting in church this morning does not mean God thinks you're okay. Just because you give money to the poor, just because you respond to the offering, just because you sing the songs doesn't mean you're right. If you're starting to get angry, just, just, just pay attention to that. Because some sermons are supposed to stir, stir some of the people some of the time. Is this your day? Naaman responds to this crazy invitation by saying, there's no way I'm going to do that, I'm going to go home. And, and now it is his friends who come to his aid. And they say, Naaman, come on, what do you have to lose? If they had asked you to do a really tough thing, would you have done it? Yes, you would. If, if, if I were here this morning to tell you that you need to do some really hard, hard work to find hope in Jesus, would you do it? You probably would. But I'm here to tell you this morning that all you need to do is to wash your soul in the promises of the living God. All you have to do is come to Jesus and say, all right, I want to be your follower. Help me, teach me, show me. Let let, let me see what it is to be forgiven. Let me experience what it is to be led by your spirit. Let me know your grace. Jesus, I want in. Save me. Help me. And so his friends say to Naaman, they're just asking you to dip yourself in the Jordan River. I've seen the Jordan River. It's a muddy creek. The rivers in Damascus are fed by the snow from the mountains. It's fresh, 
cool, beautiful water. And so Naaman says, couldn't I do this back home? And it's the constant response of our souls in our cultures. Couldn't we do this other ways? I mean, science gives much better answers. Couldn't we, couldn't we do this through education? Couldn't business save us? Couldn't we get the economy fixed and then everything will be well? Why do we have to come so simply, so foolishly, so broken, and talk to God through Jesus. Because this is where hope is. This is what the gospel is. It is this amazing story of the creator of the universe coming in an infant child. The creator of the universe coming into our broken world and from the places of greatest weakness, saying, I'm here, I've got you, and lifting us. Naaman Naaman responds well in the end. He says, take me to the river. And they go down to the Jordan River and he dunks himself seven times. And when he comes up on the seventh time, he is a new man, leprosy gone. He is, he's overwhelmed. And he commits his life to this God, Yahweh. Takes dirt home so he can keep worshiping him on his own soil. Naaman has some stuff wrong. Hasn't understood everything yet. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to answer all the theological questions to receive Jesus, to receive God's grace into your life. You may still be smoking after you say, yes, Jesus, I, I, mean, I mean cigarettes, I, I don't mean anger. I, you, 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 you may still have some habits in your life that you think Jesus won't accept me with these habits. Jesus accepted Naaman, and he had all kinds of syncretistic stuff yet to unwind. Jesus does not wait till you've got it all sorted. He doesn't wait to you are right, and then say, if, then, he answers the if side of the equation. He brings his righteousness to your account. He brings his resources into your bank account so that you can know his grace, his forgiveness, his hope. The followers of Jesus receive hope and announce hope, and in the process, stir up all kinds of false hope. Let's just finish by talking about announcing hope because that's what we're called to do. Jesus invited the disciples to come, fish for, fish for men. At the end of his ministry, he sent them. He said, go, make disciples. Announce hope. That's what I've been teaching you to do. That's what I've been showing you to do. So if you have received hope, you have the privilege of announcing hope. Now, understand that when you go announcing hope, two things will happen. Some people, after fighting you for a while, will go to the river and dip themselves seven times and, 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 and experience and they will be over the moon and they will want to pay you a great sum of money and you should read that story in the book of Kings. That's fantastic. Don't take the money is my advice. They, 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 they will want to bless you and oh, because their life will change. But as you go announcing hope, there will be other people who will take you to the crest of the hill and pick up stones because they don't want to hear what you're saying. There are some who when you tell them you need to humble yourself and God is the only way, will be blessed out of their minds and there will be others who will say, stop stirring with our culture. We like things the way they are. So what does it mean to announce hope? Well, it means to go and tell people your story, how you have found hope, how, how you have experienced the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus, how he's working in you and on you and through you. It's to tell people the little bit that you know it's not to be like somebody else. It's not to get it all right. It's just to be a witness to Jesus. He's alive in the world, you know. And he is still doing astonishing things. 
And I have experienced that life. I've experienced it in my head and put a few things together and I have a whole lot more questions. I've experienced it in my heart and it has touched and shaped me. And it is, it is affecting the way I live. And man, you ought to have this. It is wonderful. That's what it is to share hope. Notice this. Jesus came to Nazareth in the power of the Spirit. That's how you, that's how you announce hope. You need to have God's Spirit. It's the gift that comes with those who believe in the resurrection. And if you weren't here last week, go and listen to last week's sermon. We talked about the, the power of the Holy Spirit for this task of witness. Notice that when Jesus stands up, he quotes from Isaiah 61. And he quotes reference to, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You need God's Spirit. Welcome God's Spirit. Because that does two things. It empowers your announcement of hope. You will share hope with somebody and you'll find there they are, dunking in the river. Oh my goodness, they're healed. I'm as surprised as you are. I'm often surprised when I pray and my prayers are answered. I know, I should have more faith. But I, it, 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 it's, it's just so wonderful and amazing. Um, like Elijah. Uh, you know, looked after by God. The Spirit will help you trust. The Spirit will build up your boldness and the, your courage. The Spirit of the living God will help you to pray with faith. This is what the Spirit does. This is why you seek the Spirit, why you ask the Spirit to be a part of your life and to help you. And the other thing the Spirit allows you to do, which is quite wonderful, and all of us committed to, you know, kind of addicted to fixing everyone else's problems need to hear this, the Spirit allows you to knock the dust off your feet when it's time to knock the dust off your feet, to wash your hands when it's time to wash your hands, to confront other people and say, wow, you've got a big problem. That's not my problem. That's not my problem. But I have good news for you. God wants to make it his problem. I have no idea how to fix your problem. You are really stuck. Man, I have, I've heard a lot of problems. That's, you're really, wow, that's shocking. I, I, I'm glad I'm not you. That's, wow. You probably don't say that out loud. But do you know why you can say that and not be unkind, not be, not be mean? It's because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and you are here to announce good news to the poor. You are here to declare release to the oppressed and release to the prisoner and freedom. You are here to say God reigns. Jesus is alive. He's at work. I don't know how he's going to do it. I, I, I have no idea. You've got a big problem. But I know that this God has power. And as you welcome the Spirit into your life, he will embolden that witness. He will make you more confident. He will, he will help you. And he will, he will enable power to flow through you. It's, it's astonishing. It's unbelievable. It's good news. Now, as you tell some people that, they will react. They will say, you are crazy. You shouldn't be saying that. In fact, our children shouldn't even be singing those songs at Christmas. We don't mind them running around the streets with paper dragons at uh, Chinese New Year, and they can all get drunk when we have St. Patrick's Day. But my goodness, they mustn't sing in the schools, peace on earth, goodwill to man. That, that, oh, that's dangerous. Where, where did that come from last year? As politics got all anxious about singing carols in the schools. Well, it came from Luke chapter 4. It came from this reality that when you stir up this space, and call false a hope that people are leaning on. They react. They respond. And it will happen as you witness. Some people will, they will push back. They will challenge. And sometimes it will be clear to you why. And other times you look at it and you think, this is crazy. I don't even understand. I'm giving you good news. Why are you fighting me? Why do you want to kill me? And it is because 
People's souls are blind. Satan rules this earth. He wants to keep people tethered to a place where there is no real hope. And the best way to do that is to fill their minds with false hope. So who are the followers of Jesus? They're people who have received hope. Have you received it? It is beautiful. They're people who announce hope, who just declare that Jesus is alive. They're not people who take on everybody's problems and die of burnout. The followers of Jesus are people who lean into the deep challenges of the world and say, I bring power. I bring Jesus. And they are people who are willing to live in the stir that all of this creates. They're people who take up their cross and follow Jesus. And they're people who, as they endure to the end, will see the awesome salvation of the living God. Hope is a beautiful thing. Receive it and announce it, come what may. Let's pray together. Living God, help us to respond from our hearts, even as you call us this morning, to receive your amazing hope. Lord, you don't ask us to somehow save up so we can buy grace. You ask us to believe. You ask us to add to your amazing grace our contrite faith. And so, Lord... Reach to us this morning in fresh and new ways. If we have false hope to our account, Lord, stir us up. Make us angry enough to respond to your truth. And then, Lord, equip us as your announcers, your proclaimers, your heralds of this good news. Take us on the mission to which you've called us every place. Lord, we've placed all of these uh, symbols at the front of the, the, the places, the contexts, the people, the moments of our every place mission. Lord, we are a blessed people because we have hope to offer. We have received hope from you and it is beautiful. Help us to announce it. Help us to share it, come what may. Help us to live in it and to demonstrate its truth. Father, I pray for every person here this morning. I pray that you would help us as we go every place on mission. Empower us. Put your spirit in us. Enable a witness that is mighty, that is life-changing, that is city-changing, that uh, uh, pursues and pursues and pursues until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Take us on mission, Lord, and fill us with your joy as we travel in your spirit. For this is your promise and our delight. Lord, fill us with hope. In Jesus' name we pray.